All right. Hey, the microphone's working. All right, so I, we'll just tell you, uh, in the early service, we had all kinds of problems. Had, had sound problems, mics were popping, Satan was doing his deal, and then uh, I think Jesus kicked his butt, and he surrendered, and now the microphone works. So, uh, but we're not going to lay back any. We're going to get after it this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is the text we're going to be in, and, and today is a big day. Like, you're here, it's a big deal, we've got more people coming back, uh, they're going to be here at noon, I'm, I'm watching the clock, make sure we're out on time. Uh, so we've said this day is kind of a historic day in the life of our church, we're not trying to downplay that at all, that, that's honest, that's true. Uh, there is a big vote coming uh, this afternoon, we have a huge surprise for you at, at, at noon um, as we get done here, and, and I hope, I, I don't want to overplay that, somebody said, oh, is the surprise that somebody wrote a check to pay for the whole building? And I was like, oh, I hope so. Um, that'd be awesome. Uh, that, that wasn't the surprise. Uh, but if you feel led, God bless you. Um, but, uh, but we are excited about what's going on. But, but I, I need to remind you of this. Guys, these five weeks, this is week five, these five weeks are not about a building. These five weeks are, are not just about relocating the church to, to an open and spacious 18 acres, though, though it, they have to do with that. What's guiding us in these five weeks are what we're calling life principles. These are principles for Christian living. They, they should be true in our lives at all times. And here's the power, here's the blessing, here's the glory. If we incorporate these five things into our lives, if we become these kind of people, uh, Satan better watch out. Okay, that's what we're talking about. So this is huge. So to this point, uh, we're going to hit principle five today. But to this point, we started here with principle number one, that God wants us to follow his leading. Right, guys, our God is a leader. He's not a follower. Our, our, Our God's not a follower. He's a leader. He's the good shepherd. He walks out in front. He knows us. He calls us by name. He calls us to follow. God lovingly leads us into places that he's prepared for us. That's what he does, right? Um, And and, and in that, the second principle we, we studied was that God wants us to experience abundant fruit. Um, that's part of the deal, uh, that God didn't save us so that we could wander through the wilderness of life. He wants Canaan for us. That, that's a place of, of flowing with milk and with honey. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And, and that's what God wants for us, is this life that is full of the fruit of his spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We only get those things when we follow Jesus closely. Principle three, that God wants us to overcome our fears. Here's the truth about the promised land, friends. There are always giants in the promised land. God never calls us to things that are easy and don't require him, okay? You should just know that in life. If you're trying to figure out, I wonder if God is calling me to this, ask yourself this question, can I do it on my own and by myself? Because if you can do it on, on your own and by yourself and you're not afraid of it, it's probably not God. Okay, God calls us into territories where, where, where there's great abundant blessing waiting, but where there's huge giants and problems that we have to face. And, 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 but, but here's the deal. God knows that when he calls us into those things, we're going to be scared. And so time and time again in his word, over a hundred times, he says, so I tell you, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I've got this, right? And so God wants us to overcome our fears. Principle four, last week we said God wants us to experience his provision. Okay, God wants us to experience his provision. We talked a little bit about the building and how much it costs, but this has personal implications for us too, right? God showed Abraham something uh, that day when, 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 when God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God showed up in a new way that was, that was previously unknown to mankind, and, and he declared, I am your provider, Abraham. I am. And, and, and so our God, that's who he is. That's not just something he does. He is Jehovah Jireh. God, our provider, that's who he is. God wants us to know that. 
How many people in the last year have struggled with some kind of bill that they faced? They were worried about where the provision or the finances were going to come from. Come on. How, how, many, how, many, how many people have felt like you're not doing enough? You're working a job. You're working as hard as you can, but you, you still feel inadequate. Like, like you, you can't make everything happen. Anybody ever been there? I mean, we're there. Like we camp out there, right? God is our provider. It, it's not going to have to, it, it may come through your hands, but often it's going to come from his hands, okay? And so that's a big deal, lesson four. So that brings us to our fifth, and this is a big deal. This is, this is one of the driving forces bef- behind everything we do here, okay? And here's the fifth principle I want you to get. Um, God wants us to be a light in our city. God wants us to be a light in our city, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to do it um, right after we pray, so let's pray this morning together, okay? Father, you are good, and your love endures forever. And, and how cool is it that you allow us to be here and to gather together in your name, uh, that iron sharpens iron, and, and, um, and here you are, you're present with us. We felt it. We felt it. We, we, we were just here, and we're singing, and something was happening in our minds and in our hearts that we, we couldn't even describe it, but it was something, and that something was you. And so we said, yes, God, we know that you're here. Yes, God, we, we recognize your presence. And we say, yes, God, please come even more and change our minds and change our hearts. Holy Spirit, um, you are the sign that God has given us that we have been born again. You are our seal, but you are also our teacher and our guide. And we want to invite you in and, and the power uh, that you possess to change us radically from the inside out, to take our mind and to transform it, to take our heart and to conform it and, and, and our will um, to bend it towards the will of God. And we pray that you would do those things. Holy Spirit, we ask that in Jesus Christ, holy, powerful and precious name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter five. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 13. I'm going to read through verse 16. Jesus is speaking uh, the, the best sermon ever, by the way. If you, if you ever really want to hear a good sermon, just go read the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, best sermon ever preached. And you, you, yes, it's good stuff. You could spend a lifetime there. Uh, Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Then he says this in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they they put it up on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Three things I want to share with you this morning about um, being a light in our city. And here's the first thing I want you to know. I want you to know that God wants us to be a light because he is light, and we are created in his image. God wants us to be light because he is light, and we are created in his image. So when we talk about being a light in our city, we have to start here with this, this, this question. I think the first question is why? Why does God want us to be a light in our city? Why does God want um, us to let our good deeds um, shine before men? What is that about? Why are we supposed to do that? And the answer, according to our text, is that we are supposed to do that so that people see our good deeds, so, so people see our goodness, so that people see our kindness, so that people see our love, and in turn they praise God because of it. A- another way to say that is, is, is that they will see our goodness as a reflection of His goodness that they're going to see our kindness as a reflection of his kindness. They're going to see our love as a reflection of God's love. And in turn, they are going to worship and praise him for the kindness, mercy, gentleness, goodness that we have shown them. Do you see it? It, it, it? It's a big deal. 
And guys, this is a theme all the way throughout Scripture. So let's just start with this truth that God is light, okay? First John, I'm chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, John writes, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light. That's who he is. But what does that mean? What does it mean that God is light? Does it mean that God created light? Yeah, that's true. He said, let there be light. It certainly means that. But it means more than that. When we say God is light, we mean that God is, is, is pure, that God is holy, that God is good. You, you know what the darkness feels like. You, you know what it is to be afraid. You know what it is to be creeped out, right? God is the opposite of all of that. God, God is good. He invades dark spaces and he makes them safe places, right? That's what God does. God is good. God is like the psalmist says it this way uh, in Psalm 136. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. So, so when we say God is light, we mean God is light. God is, is right. Um, God is good. That's who God is. And this is what the Bible says about, you, uh, about us, right? So it says God is those things. And this is what it says about us, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind, that's us, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here's the picture, right? God is light. God is right. God is good. And we are made in his image. We, we literally are image bearers of God. So, so that means, that the, the point of that is that when people look at us, they, they should be able to see a reflection of the character of God. So when people look at you, and, and guys, this is a statement of purpose, by the way. God made you, God designed you, God created you so that people could look at you and see a reflection of God. That's why you were made. You were made so that people could look at you and see goodness. And when they see your goodness, they, they think there must be a God that is good. They, you were made so that people could see you and they see love. And when they experience your love, especially when you love them and they're not lovable at that moment, right? Um, Thanksgiving is coming, folks. Prepare yourself. And, and so, so when that happens in that moment, they're going to see your love for them. And, and they're going to understand there's no way you could humanly do that. It's a reflection of God's love for them. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it, that's who we are. In Christ, we are made to be image bearers of God. So that when people look at us, they're forced to think about him. Ever had a glory moment? That's what I like to call them, the glory moments, okay? So don't fall asleep on me. But for a moment, I, I want you to kind of close your eyes, clear your mind for a second, and we're going to think about glorious thoughts, about glory moments. Uh, for some of you, your glory moment is, is a beautiful sunset. So I want you to picture it right now. You're on the beach. Sun is setting. The waves are crashing. And you're thinking, my goodness, God is good. He's creator. This is awesome. Okay? Okay? Some people, uh, it's a sunrise. Where's Pam Harkins? Pam, I love you. Pam's a sunrise girl. The sun is coming up. The cows are out. Right? Coffee in hand in a swing somewhere. You can see it. It's a glory moment. Maybe you're like me. I'm a, I'm a thunderstorm guy. And, and when, the, when the air changes, when the wind shifts and you can smell the rain in the air, I go make a cup of coffee. And I want to sit on my front porch and I want to watch it blow in. The lightning off in the distance and the thunder clapping. It's a glory moment. It's a moment that I go, wow, my God is bigger than I am. He's more powerful than I am. He is so beautiful. He's glorious. Now, now, now look at me for a second. Those glory moments, they make us think higher thoughts, don't they? 
They force us to think higher thoughts than we normally think. And that is what God says we were made for. You and I were made to let other people have glory moments about God. Isn't that crazy? That when people look at you, that it would be like a sunset. And they would say, wow, God is good. That they would look at you in the way that you care about them. And they would go, oh my goodness. This is, this is like a, a beautiful rain after a long period of, of, of dry oasis. Yeah, I mean, I mean th- this is... The the, the, the picture, you're an image bearer of God. You are an, God created you so that when people see you, they have a glory moment and they think about him. That's huge. That is huge. We have to start here with the why. God wants us to be a light because he is light and we are made in his image. Number two, this morning I want you to see that God wants us to be a light so that his blessings can flow through us. God wants us to be a light so that his blessings can flow through us. And I want you to do me a favor. Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 12. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, and that's the first book of the Bible. It's one of the easier ones to find. Uh, Find chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I want to share this truth with you, friends. I'm in life. uh, Listen, when it comes to the blessings of God in life, you are either a cistern or you are a channel. When it comes to the blessings of God, you've got to fall in one camp. You're either a cistern or you're a channel. You know what a cistern is? It's a big box that is dug in the ground, and it is meant to hold fresh water. The water that goes into it is fresh. The problem with a cistern is there is no place for the water to flow. It's just a box. It just holds it. So what happens over time with cisterns is that water, if it's not drawn out, uh, becomes stagnant and can actually lead to death. (laughs) It really can. It just comes completely stagnant. Some Christians uh, are that way with the blessings of God. God blesses them. He blesses them greatly. And what happens in turn, because there's no outlet for that blessing, they hold all of that blessing unto themselves and they actually become stagnant. You don't believe me. Look at somebody that's not content right now with their life in America. I love you. I'm, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I know everybody thinks November's going to change the world around here. It's not. I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're a Christian right now and you're discontent with your life in America, you've got to get out of the States. In America, we, we are of, guys, in all honesty, just with what you make right now, you may think, I don't have enough. I don't make enough right now. Right now, you make more than 98% of the world's population. God has blessed you more than you could ever imagine. But here's what happens. If we're not allowing those blessings to flow to others, they become stagnant in us and we take them for granted and we become discontent and our life is, is summed up by that word stagnation. Too many people I know, that's where they are. They're a cistern when it comes to God's blessings. But there is another option. God's intent and God's design for you was not to be a cistern where you could store up God's blessings. God's design for you was to be a channel that his blessings could flow through you and to others. That's God's design. So God blesses you. Why? So that you can bless others. And here's the beauty in that. When God blesses you and you receive those blessings and you use those blessings to bless others, it keeps you fresh. It keeps you alive. You've heard of living water, right? That's the imagery. It's a constant flow of God's blessings into my life and out through my hands into others' lives, okay? And when it goes in their lives, out from their hands into others' lives. Can you imagine how quickly our world could transform if we chose to be channels of God's blessings instead of cisterns of God's blessings? It's a huge deal. 
So I want to show you that principle in Scripture, this truth that I believe that God has designed us to be channels, that his goodness would flow um, to us and then eventually through us. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And, and what we're doing really, in, has anybody ever traced their ancestry? Anybody ever done Ancestry.com or anything like that? Okay. Two people, that's it. Nobody else cares where they came from. Um, no, I mean, you guys are awesome. That's fine. Maybe you already know the whole story. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to trace spiritual ancestry is what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to go back um, to, to Father Abraham. We're going to look at the father of faith, if you will. We're not Jewish, okay? But, but spiritual ancestry. And look at where it begins. God speaking to this man named Abram, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. Verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and get this, you will be a blessing. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. He says, I'll bless those that bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And get this, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What is God going to do with Abraham? He's going to elevate him. He's going to make his name great. He's going to bless him greatly. Why is God going to do it? So that Abraham can bless others. God is going to bless him greatly so that his blessings, the blessings of God, would flow to Abraham and then through Abraham into others. And friends, that is God's design for our lives as well. We are meant to be a light in, our, in this city where when God blesses us, we are pouring that blessing out amongst all of the people that surround us so much so that they feel loved, that they feel cared for, that they feel the goodness that flows from us, that they understand we're not trying to keep anything just to ourselves. That kind of Christianity radically transforms people and people are what the church are made of. You get it? It's a big, big, big deal. This is the goal. Think about the benefits of light with me for a second. Just, just think about them. Light helps us see, right? I mean, clearly. Is anybody a um, nighttime walker? I don't mean like a sleepwalker, but you are always up in the middle of the night. I have a, a three-year-old, almost four-year-old daughter. I'm up every night. She is with, she is with her DD this weekend, and I didn't get up at all last night. It was beautiful. I am well-rested. Ha-ha. <laughs> Anybody else, you find yourself up in the middle of the night, right? Okay. Anybody else not want to turn on a light and you try to do it in the dark? How's that work out for you? I promise you, there are like little elves that come out at night and they move the coffee table over two inches. Like I'm walking the same path I always walk and just bam, right there with that pinky toe. That's what I say. I don't say those bad words. Um, and uh, so, um, you know, these, these things happen and... and <laughs> Light helps us see, like it helps us avoid that, it helps us see things for what they really are, so that's important. But think about all the other benefits of light. Light gives us security, doesn't it? Light, light, light gives us security. We put lights outside of our house so that we can see what's going on, so that people won't want to walk up and try to break in, because somebody will go back, well, why is that guy jiggling with the door? We, we have light for comfort. My kids, my kids are still, you know, some of my kids don't love the dark, and so we, we have light for comfort. We, light, light serves as a guide for us, doesn't it? Light can direct us, can it? Think about those traffic stops and those traffic lights. Let me ask you this question. Do you know anybody in your life that could use a little bit of direction right now? Do you know anybody in your life that could use just a little bit of comfort right now? Do you know anybody in your life that could use a little bit of security right now? 
You see, guys, we are made to be light in our world. God has put people in our path so that we can be these things for them. We are meant to be a light to our city. That's who God has called us to be. Okay? That his blessings, all those things I just spoke about, would flow from him into us and ultimately through us and into others. Number three, we're almost done. Man, the surprise is coming. Can you feel the tension in the air? It's thick. Number three, I want you to see that God wants us to be a light because people long for a visible example to follow. God wants us to be a light because people long for a visible example to follow. And I'm going to be back in Matthew chapter 5 here uh, again. And uh, verse 14, again, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. He says, A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and, and put it down. He says people don't, don't light something and then de-elevate it. People don't light something and then lower it. They don't cover it. They don't stick it down. That's not what you do with light. He says instead they put it up on a stand so that it can give light to everything, right? That's the purpose. So, so, so God actually elevates the light so, so that others can see. That, that's the picture, right? And it's that picture of elevation, this standing or this elevated position that I, I want to talk to you about. That implication is, is, is that the, the elevated nature is so that people can see. And, and, and so this really hit me as I was working through our, our Wednesday night Bible study on Colossians. By the way, guys, we actually have church on Wednesday. It's crazy. I know it's crazy. So if you're, if you're struggling, if you didn't think that we had church on Wednesday, just this week, I want you to think all week. Ready? Cal. Cal. C-O-W, church on Wednesday. We have church on Wednesday. It's not hard. Okay? See a big brown and white one, big black and white one? I don't care. We've got programs for kids. We've got, we've got Bible study and, and prayer for adults. We have something for you. So um, I, I meet so many people that, that it's Sunday to Sunday. That's, that's kind of when they can make it to church. And they, are, they, they, they tell me every week, oh, I'm just so tired. I'm so weary. I'm so empty. Well, come get charged up in the middle of the week, right? I mean, come hear the word of God in the middle of the week. Let's get into it. And so I want to invite you. Be here on Wednesday nights. We eat at 545. We've got Bible study for all ages at 630. We are done at 730. This building is empty no later than 8, right? I mean, I mean, lights are off and it's locked by 8. You're home in bed. So, so come and join us. That's just a little plug for Wednesday nights. Uh, so, but here is, is what I've, I've, I've really been, the Lord's been revealing to me in, in the book of Colossians. Ready? Colossians 115. It says the Son, speaking unto Jesus, uh, the Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. And then Colossians 1.19, Paul writes this. He says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. All of the fullness of God dwell in Jesus. And then Colossians 2.9, which we studied this week. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God lives, get this, in bodily form. See, what Paul is trying to say is, listen, if you've ever wondered what God is like, you just need to look at Jesus. Right? If you've ever wondered what God is like, you just need to look at, at, at Jesus. And, and the problem, of course, throughout the history of mankind is, is the fact that God is invisible. You guys know that about God, right? God is invisible. I mean, it's like you can't actually see him. Like, you can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't just not, you know. So, so that, that's, a, that's a great problem for mankind because the God of the universe that made us, that is spirit, and spirit is invisible, right, um, has, has throughout history spoken to us and revealed his nature. But the problem, because we couldn't see him, uh, it's kind of like this. Have you ever emailed back and forth or texted somebody and you couldn't see what they were saying face-to-face and you took it the wrong way? Come on, be honest. 
Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't want you to text me or email me. Please call me. Okay, at least I can hear inflections in your voice. I would much rather talk to you face to face. So about important issues here, if you ever email us and it's really important and critical, you're probably going to get an email back that says, hey, can we sit down and talk about this? Because we need to know, like, are you mad? Are you not? I I mean, because when you have the caps lock on, it sounds like you're screaming, okay? (laughs) You didn't even know you had it on. So throughout the Old Testament... God would show up and he would speak to his people, but they couldn't see him. And and a lot of times they would misinterpret what he was saying because they couldn't see his heart. They couldn't see what was behind it. So then they would misinterpret what God was saying. They would misinterpret his heart. They would misinterpret his character. Then they would make their own rules about, about, oh my gosh, then we can't even speak the name of the Lord. We won't even insert vowel sounds. We're not going to do any of that. And, 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 And then they taught other people the wrong misconceptions about God. And it happened, it happened, it happened, it happened, it happened. And here's the deal. God knew that it was going to happen. God, just like God knew that we would be afraid when he called us out of our comfort zones and he would say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. God knew that people were going to misunderstand him and that they were going to miss his heart. And so in his plan, uh, in the history of the world, God had always intended to send his son, Jesus. And when he sent Jesus, let's think about some of the misconceptions that people had about God. They believed that God was distant. Right? God's distant. He doesn't care. They believe that God was just demanding that he was some great judge. And so then here comes Jesus, right? God comes down. Is God distant? No. Jesus says, I am here. I am. Over and over. I'm here. I'm not distant. God's not far off. God God hears you. God knows you. God cares about you. I am right here. I'm not way off there. I'm right here. And so God comes down, right? And, And you say, well, God's demanding. And Jesus comes to say, you know what? God is demanding. God demands perfection, but you can't do it. So I am going to do it for you. And I am going to live the perfect life that you cannot. And I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sins. And and so in that, he shows, yes, God is demanding, but God is also loving. And he does so while we hate him. He does so while we're his enemies, right? This is the glory of the gospel. Paul would say this in Colossians. He talks about the accuser. You know, Satan's an accuser. Um, Real quick, don't, don't, okay. We're going to do this, but then it's going to be good. I want you to think of the worst thing you've ever done right now. Pop it in your head. Don't like actually visibly live it out again, but just think about it, right? Whatever you've done, the enemy, the devil, has said that that's who you are. Am I right? Am I right? Right? So whatever you've done, um, you know, whatever that is, that's that's who you are according to the devil. And could anybody testify to that? You don't have to like actually speak a testimony, but you just raise a hand and say, yep, that's how I feel sometimes. Okay? Three people feel that way. This is really working for me. Anybody, like you have to raise your hand and keep it up, people. We're in church. Um, God's watching. Um, okay, cool, cool. Okay, so other people in the same boat. I'm not the only sinner in the room. So here's the accuser, because Satan, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he comes, and the accuser looks at what you do, and he says, that is who you are. That is who you are. And he accuses you of being a murderer. Or he accuses you of being a liar. Or he he accuses you of of whatever the worst sin you've ever committed. He said, that's who you are. The, The problem with that accusation, of course, is that what Jesus has done was greater than what you are. Here we go again. I'm just going to hold it like this for the rest of the period. I love technology. So the accuser comes. And and what the accuser says is that is who you are. But Christ says, no, no, no. What I have done, get this in the book of Colossians, by my sacrifice, I have wiped from the written record 
every accusation of your enemy. And if you turn to your page with your name, you have a blank slate. And I took all those accusations and I nailed them to that cross. That is the gospel. That's what Christ has done for us. And I need you to hear me. I need you to hear me. God knew that we needed that. He knew that we needed Jesus. Jesus was always part of of God's plan. God knew that we would, would cling to the wrong views of Him. He knew that we needed a visible picture of who He really is, that He is really loving, that He really cares, that He's really here, that we're not alone. And Jesus is proof of all of the glories of the gospel. That's the point. And friends, I need you to hear me. Just like Jesus is proof to us that God really exists, He then looks at us and says, yeah, I'm the light of the world. I'm the light of your world. But guess what? You are the light of their world. You are their proof that God really exists. You are their proof that God really loves them. You are their proof that they are not alone. You are their proof that God is really good and going to take this terrible situation and make it better. You are their proof. God wants us to be a light into our city. Because people need a visible representation of God. And that is God's goal for our lives. Think of the glory of that. When it's all said and done, it's not about whether or not I was an accountant or a scientist or an astronaut. It's not, it doesn't matter if, 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 if I mowed lawns, it did landscaping. It doesn't matter if I was a teacher. It, it doesn't matter if, if, if I was a sanitation engineer. It, none of that. You know what matters is that as I walk through life, that people thought of God when they saw me. That is God's goal for you. That when people see you, they would see Jesus. And so I would just close with this because we've got to close. Please make sure that's happening. Our world today sees a lot of Christians and all they hear is something about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. They see a lot of people yelling at a lot of things. And I just wonder, in that, could we, could we silence that over the next month? Could we be a group of Christians that decides to do it differently and says, you know what? Over the next month, I'm going to love all people. I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them. If there's, if there's one area that I'm supposed to persuade somebody in, you know what that one area is? The fact that God loves them and has a plan for their life. That's the one area. Friends, our city's growing. I was out at the soccer fields, you know, last week. My kids were out at the soccer fields this morning because they had to reschedule a game. Our city is full of people, and they just need somebody to look to. That they can go, yeah, you know what? I look at that person, there must be a God. Because they are so good. I pray that we will be 